Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. North, it's a joy to be with you even in this way and have the opportunity to open God's Word with you. Uh, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're continuing in our series, A Beautiful Narrative, Luke's account of Jesus' life and, and, and the gospel. And, and so uh, you can open up chapter 3 verses 1 to 20 is where we're going to be this morning. The natural tendency that we have is to tell other people about the things that excite us. It's just natural for us when we get excited about things to let other people know. Whether that be uh, vacations that are coming for, up for us as families that we're excited about, that we're excited to go. Uh, whether that be movies that we've seen or we're excited to see or foods that we've tried and enjoyed and want others to partake in. Uh, for me, it's books. Uh, I, I love reading books. I love sharing with others the books that I've read. Uh, oftentimes, if I'm even in the middle of a book, I haven't even finished it yet, and I've enjoyed it, I'll take a picture of its cover and send it to a number of my friends that I know will enjoy it. Oftentimes, I'll buy a book uh, simply because the cover looks nice, uh, and, and I enjoy reading books that are designed well. Uh, I love telling other people about the books that I've read, knowing that it will encourage them and build them up as well. Uh, and Jesus, he expects us to do the same uh, and go out to the world and tell the world about him and the gospel and that he's coming back again. And he tells his disciples this in Acts chapter 1. Acts 1 verse 8, he says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And then an angel said to the disciples who were, who were waiting and looking in awe, he, they said to, to the disciples, This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus not only expects us uh, as his disciples, as followers of him, to tell the world about him, but he's also given us the Holy Spirit by which we're empowered to do the things he's called us to do. And we do these things empowered by the Holy Spirit, but also anticipating his return. He's promised that he's coming back for us. And likewise, Luke, in this passage that we're looking at today, tells us about John the Baptist. Uh, who was also called as a follower of Jesus Christ to go out into the world and tell about him and tell about his coming to the world, that he was called to tell the world that Jesus is coming. And so as we take time to, to look at the life of John the Baptist, uh, we'll see that followers of Christ are called to proclaim about the coming of Christ, that followers of Christ are called to proclaim about the coming of Christ. 
But before we look at the, the word, let's take time to pray together and ask God that he would speak to us this morning. And so, Father, we, we come to you, uh, even though that we're, we're scattered in our own homes, uh, and, and we look forward to the time when we can come back together. We, we trust that you are speaking to us through your word. Uh, we're thankful that you've given this to us, that you've given us your word, that you have not left us to ourselves, but that you have given us your word to encourage us in the faith, that you've given us your word to see uh, people as examples that you've given to us, uh, that you've called us to to behold your word, to to grow in our understanding of it, to see Jesus Christ more clearly and what he has done. And so we pray that this morning that you would delight to speak to us. We know that we need your Holy Spirit this morning to, to make us understand what's in your word. Uh, if we go about it by ourselves, uh, we, we know that it will be futile and, and worthless. And so we ask that your spirit would be, would be with us. Help us this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. And so Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, the passage that we're looking at today, uh, Luke gives us the example of John the Baptist. And by taking time to observe his life, we, come, we, we have five observations that we make from his life. Uh, and the first thing that we observe through the life of John is that we see a model of obedience. Take a look at verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the pre high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And so Luke, in the passage before, gives us an account of Jesus and his development as a young boy. And now in Luke chapter 3, he jumps a decade and a number of years ahead and gives us an account of John the Baptist in his adulthood. And he does this first uh, by giving us a bunch of historical landmarks. He tells us who the, the government leaders were. He tells us who the religious leaders were. Uh, and, and Luke is doing this because he's working hard to let us know as readers that we can trust his account, that it's verifiable history. And here's, here's how it should encourage us as believers, as, as those who are reading this passage. The Holy Spirit writing this to us through Luke is reminding us that the events of the gospel take place in real time, in real places, and with real people. That God is telling us that we can trust this. That what he's given to us in his word, that we can trust. He's given this to us. And so Luke, having set the historical framework, turns now to John the Baptist. L look at verse 2. And the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. We're told of John back in Luke chapter 1 uh, and, and what he would do. In Luke 1 verse 16, uh, it says this, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, 
to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 76, he says this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So this is what we've been told about John back in Luke chapter 1. And now in Luke chapter 3, verse 2, we see it start to unfold. John is being called in the same way that God called the Old Testament prophets. The, the word of God comes to them and summons them to the task that God wants them to do. And so this is an amazing event. This, is, this, this was incredible because this is the first time in 460 years that God is publicly proclaiming a word to his people. And so he's doing this through John. And, and so like a fresh shower of rain after a long season of drought, God is speaking a new word to his people through John the Baptist. Look at John's response to, to God's word in, in verse 3. And he went, immediate obedience. He receives the word in the wilderness and then he goes all about the region preaching the gospel in obedience. He doesn't talk back to God and he doesn't negotiate with God. Right now, everything with Shepherd is a negotiation. He's, he's almost two now, and, and anything that you tell him to do, he'll first list off uh, a, a list of demands. He'll give us a list of demands. He'll, he'll say, first, uh, I want Moana. Second, I want to play with my cars. And three, I want pistachios. No matter what you tell him, he'll always have a list of demands before he obeys. When God gives us commands, he isn't negotiating. It's a king to a servant. He expects obedience. But also, like a father to a child, he's telling us to do these things because he knows better than us, and he knows that it will lead to our joy. God knows all things. He knows what, uh, what we need the most. He knows our hearts better than we do. And so the commands that he gives to us are for our joy. And he also knows that our time is short that Jesus is coming soon. And so the commands that he gives to us is because he wants us to live for what truly matters. And so in obedience, John preaches and goes about the region preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Here's what John Piper says about John the Baptist, his message. He says, this was a remarkable demand of John on his Jewish kinsmen. In the context in which John lived, baptism had one main significance amongst the Jews. It was the sim symbolic rite that proselytes had to go through to become Jewish. This made John's baptism very offensive. So the message that John is bringing would have offended many. Why? Because it implied that unless Jews were willing to repent, they were not really Jews and could not count on the promised blessings God had made to his chosen people. Or to put it another way, in calling Jews to accept a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, John was telling them that they cannot rely on their Jewishness for salvation and, they, and that they have to be changed in their hearts toward God. What we need most is heart change. 
It's not belonging to a certain group or having a certain heritage or, or doing a certain number of good works that save us, but a change in our hearts. And the only one who can change our heart is God himself. And he's accomplished this through the work of Jesus on the cross for us and the Holy Spirit by sending him to give us a new heart. So God's done this through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and sending the Spirit to us. And so John the Baptist, he obediently responds to the call of God and then goes about the region preaching this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So what Luke shows us next is that John's whole life is a fulfillment of God's promise. Take a look at verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So Luke, he's quoting a passage from Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, and this passage was originally preached by Isaiah to the people of Israel, promising their return from captivity in Babylon and the restoration of their kingdom. But when they did return from Babylon and they went back into their kingdom, it was nothing like they expected. It was, it was much less in its glory. And so they felt like the promise didn't come true. So what Luke is showing us here, what God is showing us here through, through Luke's account of the gospel is that he hasn't turned back on his word. That God has, is keeping his promise and he's keeping his promise and fulfilling his promise through the life of John. Now, we, we break our promises all the time. And sometimes we don't do that maliciously. We, we simply forget the commitments that we've made or we, we don't have the resources that we thought we did to keep the commitments uh, that we've made. And, and I do this all the time. I, I make appointments with people and schedule calls with them and, and, and I text them, I'm excited to call you soon. Uh, and then life hits, I, I get busy with things and I forget. And so I tell them, hey, we'll do it next week. And the same thing happens uh, sometimes week after week. But God isn't like that. God has never forgotten his promises. He's never failed any of his promises. And he'll keep his word always. Though at times it might seem like it's delayed, God always keeps his promises. And it's often better than we could have ever imagined or expected or even planned ourselves. Look at verse 6. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so God in his saving work will not only save his people from Israel, but from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. God always keeps his promises. And here's how, here's how that should encourage us. That Jesus has promised us that he is coming back. That he's coming back for us. And so the Bible calls us to live like that, to live like Jesus is truly coming back. The Bible tells us that in, in the parable of the ten virgins that some were ready and others weren't. And only those who were ready were received into the joy of the master. And then in another parable, 
his return is compared to the coming of a thief in the night, that it's quick and it's unexpected. And then when Jesus is telling the parable of the persistent widow, he ends it off by saying that when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is coming back. And so we need to live like that's true. Because if we truly believe it, if we truly believe that Jesus is coming back, the way we live our lives change. We live in light of the reality that Jesus is coming back at any moment. And so we live in that reality that God will fulfill his promises to us. And so this passage that Luke quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 is being fulfilled in the life of John. And this passage in Isaiah promised that John would come to prepare the way for God. And how he prepares the way for God is by preparing people's hearts to meet with God. And so John prepares them by speaking about repentance, by by teaching about repentance from sin. And this is what he goes on to explain. Take a look at verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also came and asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages. So the third observation that we see in this passage from the life of John is the call to changed living. John is going about preaching and preaching about the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And people actually come out to be baptized. And and look at his response. Uh, You brood of vipers. He's telling them you're you're just like uh, the serpent back in the Garden of Eden. Jesus says the same thing to the Pharisees later on in his ministry. In John chapter 8 verses 39 and 44, he says, Jesus says this, they answered him, uh, Abraham is our father. And so Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. You are of your father, the devil. So throughout the New Testament, we as believers are encouraged and commanded to speak to others firmly, truthfully, and graciously. And so when Jesus and John are speaking to these people, they aren't being rude, but they're speaking in a way to wake up a sleeping people. They're trying to wake up a people that have been self-deceived. Jesus and John are saying to this group of people that it's not by your lineage, by blood, that connects you to Abraham. But it's a faith like Abraham that starts with repentance and is displayed to the world through action.
That's why he says in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That those who claim to be in God's family prove it to the world and to themselves and to others with their lives. If our lives look no different having come to Jesus and having repented and trusted in the gospel, if our lives look no different, we need to examine ourselves and to see if we have truly believed in the gospel. Now, John does this, and and John says this to them, because judgment is coming. And that judgment is is not only coming, but it's coming soon. Look at verse 9. He says, Even now the axe is laid at the root. Now this judgment of God doesn't come out of nowhere. In fact, God had warned his people Israel from centuries ago. Look at Isaiah chapter 5, starting at verse 5. Isaiah says this, And now I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed, and the briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. God had viewed Israel like his vineyard and had expected them to produce good fruit. But they hadn't, and he warned them that he would take down the vineyard if they did not repent and turn to him. And he he warned them centuries ago to turn from their sin. But now, like John says in verse 9, the axe is laid at the root. God is ready to do what he promised he would do. So brothers and sisters, what, what the encouragement for us here is, and the word to us through this is that we should not see God's patience as a sign that he's not going to fulfill his promise. The apostle Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is giving us time to repent this is his kindness towards us. And as Kevin DeYoung said, it's, it's his goodness that he would rather have us repent than be punished. God is waiting in patience for us to repent. But we should not count his patience as slowness. We need to take his warnings seriously. That we need to repent of sin now and not later. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon, and he's coming back to judge. And when he comes, there won't be any more time. So we don't wait. We repent of sin now. And so as as John is preaching this, the crowds respond to him. Look at verse 10. And what then shall we do? They come asking if, if we're to keep bearing fruit, keeping with repentance, what does that look like? And so John instructs them. He says, love your neighbor. 
This is what he, he, he means when he says to, to give to those who don't have, to not abuse your authority. He says, love your neighbor and be content with what you have. The true Christian lives differently. Now, we might not live perfectly, but the, the repentant Christian lives a changed life. Why? Because we've been given a new heart. Our heart has been changed by God. Rather than a love for ourselves and a love for, for things, we're marked by a love for God and a love for others. And so our, our living should reflect that. And so the people, having heard all of this and having heard the preaching of John, start to wonder if John is the promised Messiah. Take a look at verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The fourth thing that we see in the life of John is the promise of someone greater. The promise of someone greater. So the people wondering if John is the Messiah, rather than taking that praise, John looks at the people and instead of keeping the attention on himself, points away from himself and towards Jesus Christ, to someone greater than him. And that's why he says in verse 16, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. That Jesus is so great in his eyes that he points away from himself and to the one who is coming. How is Jesus greater? Well, John's baptism of water is just a symbol of the washing away of sin. All it does is, is dunk someone in water and they come out wet. But Jesus, he's going to baptize his people with the Holy Spirit. He's giving the Holy Spirit to his people. And because of that, they'll be truly cleansed and actually able to obey the commands of God. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse 25. And the prophet's uh, God through the prophet Ezekiel says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey all my rules. So to the Christian, this is true of us. This is our reality that the Holy Spirit is in us, that God has given as a gift the Holy Spirit to reside in us, that he's with us, that he lives in us and walks with us. And because the Spirit is with us, we can actually obey the things that God commands us to do. Not, and not only can we do those things, 
but we love to do those things and we want to do those things because God has given us a new heart. That's what that's what he said in, in Ezekiel chapter 36, that I will give you a new heart. So he's given us new thoughts, new desires, new will, that we want to do things differently, that we think about things differently, and we love different things. And the main thing that we love to do is to love the Word of God and the commands of God. And so walking in step with the Spirit, we're able to to obey the things that God commands us to do. And we do this dependent on the Spirit, dependent upon His Word to us, and dependent in prayer. So Jesus, His baptism is greater, but also His judgment John can only warn of what's to come, but Jesus is actually coming back to judge. He's returning to carry out his judgment. Look at verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so John's giving us this picture of a farmer who, after having gathered all of his harvest, he wants to separate the things that he can actually use from the things that he can't. So a farmer would would shovel his harvest into the air and to the wind, and the heavier wheat would fall to the ground, but the unusable chaff would blow away with the wind. And so after having separated it, the chaff was only usable then to burn in a fire. It was of no use. And so Likewise, Jesus is coming back to judge everyone and to separate those who are his from those who aren't. John doesn't let the people have their own picture of Jesus. He doesn't let their imaginations come up with with a softer version of Jesus. But John presents faithfully this picture of Jesus as both Savior and Judge. Here's what Thabiti says about this. Christ plunges the winnowing shovel of the gospel into the world, and the wheat of faith is collected while the chaff of unbelief gets burned away in condemnation. Christians must bear faithful witness to Christ, the judge, in a world that would rather Jesus were only a babe in a manger. They love Christmas. They love Christmas, but but Jesus is more than a babe in a manger. They They would only have Jesus be some wise teacher and consistently deny that he is judge. Jesus is both the saving Lord who gives his life for sinners and the judging king who weighs all. As Christians, we need to and we must present a faithful picture of Jesus who is coming back. And to do this faithfully is to to tell plainly of Jesus who is able to save and to cleanse should we turn to him in faith and, and trust in the gospel. But also to tell of Jesus who is coming back to judge, to separate those who are his from those who aren't. And as you can imagine, this isn't a, a popular message to teach And so as John is teaching this, we see how some people respond to it. Take a look at verse 18. 
So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to, to them all, that he locked up John in prison. And so the, the final thing that we observe through the life of John is the reality of persecution. Notice what Luke calls John's preaching. The, the calling towards repentance and the, the warning of coming judgment and the exhortation to live a changed life. Luke calls that good news. Just like it's good news to be woken up in the middle of the night and to be told that your house is on fire and that there's time to get out. That's good news. Sometimes uncomfortable and inconvenient news is actually good news. And so to the non-Christian, you need to understand that the gospel is sometimes hard to hear. And so as a Christian, I say this with respect and with compassion, that, that you're in a burning house, but there's time to get out. There's time to get out. Jesus calls with uh, with compassion and offers the gospel that should you repent and turn to him that there's time to get out but there's urgency as well because he's coming back soon to judge so don't wait turn to him trust in the gospel trust in the finished work of jesus christ so john preaches this good news to everyone even to the powerful. And the encouragement to us there is that the gospel doesn't change based on the audience towards you, uh, the audience to whom you preach it to. John preached the same gospel uh, to the people that were gathered and coming out to him to be baptized, and the same gospel to, to the people in power. We, we preach the same gospel. Jesus expects us to faithfully preach the gospel to everyone and, and tell of him and about his coming. So John preaches this gospel even to the powerful, to Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, and so Herod had stolen his brother's wife, who also happened to be his niece. And so John calls him out for this obvious sin. But instead of receiving the word and repenting and turning towards Jesus Christ, who, who offers forgiveness, he imprisons John. And eventually we find out through the Gospel of Luke that John is executed by him. John faithfully preached the Gospel without compromise, and it cost him his life. Faithful Gospel preaching will likely bring consequences and persecution to us. But brothers and sisters, we need to understand that the offense caused by that, that the offense that people take towards uh, the preaching of the gospel should only be felt by the message, not by us. The, the gospel will offend people, but we do not serve people well. We do not serve the gospel well. We don't serve Jesus well when we when we cause ourselves to become a roadblock to the gospel with our attitude and with our conduct. One of our, our commitments as a local church is that, that we are committed to sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness 
And by boldness, we mean the courage to be clear with the world, with whoever is listening, uh, clear with courage um, about what Jesus has done, what he expects of us, and what he calls us to do. So we share the good news of Jesus with boldness, but also with gentleness and respect. We make the gospel sweeter when we are are loving towards our neighbors and we, we, we are compassionate towards them. We don't serve the gospel well when we are jerks about it. And so we, we love our neighbor, we love others, we show compassion, we do it with gentleness and respect. And yet at the same time, even as we commit to do these things, we can expect that there will be consequences and persecution. But we welcome it, we, we're to expect it, Jesus himself received that, and so we, we endure it ourselves as well. And so John, as he's in prison, while he's in prison, he begins to question whether this was all worth it. So he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus, and Jesus simply sends back those disciples and telling them to respond, saying, tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. Jesus tells him, don't doubt me, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he will do what he said he will do. And so in the same way, there may be times when, when we start to question uh, what we are doing, but we're reminded by Jesus that he is who he says he is, and that he will do what he said he will do. He tells us, don't doubt. And we, we looked at this passage right at the beginning, Acts 1 verse 8. He empowers us by his spirit to be his witnesses. That he hasn't left us on our own in this task, but he's present with us by his spirit, empowering us to do the task that he's called us to do. And we do this all in anticipation of the certain reality that Jesus is coming back. We don't do this uh, and think that it's all futile, but Jesus is coming back for us. And so we look forward to that day, we, we anticipate it, we long for it, but as we wait, knowing that Jesus will return, we, we, we're bold in our witness towards others and we tell the world, and Jesus expects that of us, we tell the world about him and what he has done and that he's coming back again. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you for this time in your word. We're thankful that, that all of your scriptures are beneficial to us. That even in this time, we pray that this would have been an encouragement to our hearts. Uh, to those who, who are weary, would you have strengthened them? To, to the fearful, would you have emboldened us? And, and to the ones who just simply needed encouragement, uh, we pray that, that this, this time would have been that that we would have been encouraged in the task that, that Christ expects of us. So help us to, to constantly keep in mind that Jesus is coming back, that you've promised this to us, and that we can bank on that, that you will return. But as you have us here, that you have given us work to do. And so would we be faithful with it? Even as we've been encouraged by the example of John, would we be encouraged by the fact that you are with us, that you've given us 
the spirit by which we are empowered to do the, the work that you've called us to do. So be with us, encourage us, continue to, um, to, to use this word in us throughout this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.